Hey guys, I'm Mike Ledbetter. You're listening to Talkin' Blues. I'm here in Chicago in a different hotel room, so you, the background noises will be different. Um, I'm here with Michael Ledbetter. Is it Mike or Michael? I like Mike. Okay, Mike yeah. Ledbetter. Um, who's an amazing vocalist. He used to sing with Nick Moss and is now working with Monster Mike. He's been kind enough to drop by before his gig tonight at Buddy Guys. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Um, things are starting to really get on a roll for me. I'm, I'm, I'm just feeling good. I got, a, I got a brand new baby. I got a growing family. I got a growing career. Life is all right. Good. I mean, it, it sounds like things are happening, and yeah. there seems to be a buzz that's going on out there. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel that? Like, do you? Is it easy for you to feel that way? Oh, well, it's definitely tangible. Yeah, I mean, especially with social media. You know, um, our first time out, myself and, and Mike Welch. You know, when we got together and decided to, you know. <clears throat> say you know what let's make a record together you know let's 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 see where it goes after after we did chicago blues Festival. Wait, so can you talk about that like it all okay. started with the chicago blues Festival. yes that's where it, that's actually where it starts. you know what let's start way back because okay. you have an interesting story all right <laughs> you're a singer you have a passion for classical and opera music mm-hmm. or you, you you had that passion at some point in your life tell me when that happened that happened in high school um Pretty much started when I, you know, I was choosing my my electives in high school, and I said, you know what, I want, you know, I I love singing, but I had never really been in in a chorus, you know, in a choir in high school, in in, in middle school or anything like that. I said, you know what, they've got, you know, I can sing for forty five minutes a day during school, and you know, not. You know, <laughs> not being class class. Let me go sing. You so, know? beyond that, you had like you like singing because you just sang around the house. Yeah, man. I gr- I grew up in a musical family. My my parents were always playing music around the house. I have a sister that's ten years older than me. So, you know, when I was five, she was a, you know she was fifteen and a teenager and always playing really bad 80s music but I you know but I loved it and you know I I just grew up around a musical family you know and everyone loved to sing and yeah that's where I come from so when you decided to take that course it was based on the fact that you just sang around the house yeah man I just love I just love music I love to sing and I knew that I was good at it you know I knew I, I knew I had a good voice you know but uh how did you know that just because you could play with sing with well, records and it would sound good. Yeah, okay. yeah. I I knew that I could, I, because I I was born in '85, so I'm I'm a '90s kid. So most of the music that I listened to was a lot of pop and R&B music from from the '90s. Right. And if you remember during that time, you know there were a lot of dynamic singers doing a lot of runs and fancy stuff and i could do all that stuff you know at a at a younger age so i knew that i had something um i wasn't like cocky about it but i knew you know right, right. you know i could sing but uh when i decided to start singing in choir my my choral director she she recognized that it, you know i could sing as well and 
you know, the next year when I was a sophomore, she she asked. I, I had gotten up to the highest choir in the in the school, the, you know, the most elevated one. And she asked me if I'd like to start taking voice lessons from this tenor that comes in once a week and gives voice lessons to, you know, all the kids that, you know, pay for it. So what kind of stuff are you singing with the choir? With the choir? Um, anything from old kind of musical theater, you know, like, like Cole Porter and Rodgers and Hammerstein kind of stuff, right. from, you know, Negro spirituals to... Latin to everything. We and you're can, we liking can, all of this. Oh, I, you know, I, re- I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, but I knew that I liked I liked popular music more than I liked classical music. You know, I didn't really have the knack. Actually, when I finally decided to take voice lessons, because I was very hard headed about it at first. Um, because I, like, like I said before, I pretty much thought I, I was like, you know what? I know how to sing. I'm, I don't need someone else teaching me how to, or undoing what I have already. Right. That's how I thought about it as a hard headed 15 year old. Um, but when I, when I finally started with this guy, he asked me, he said, you know, what would you like to start or, or what would you like to sing? And I said, I don't want to sing anything in a foreign language. I want to, I want to. Just kind of stick to, to the English stuff because when it, when it came to voice lessons, all I could think about was was opera, mm-hmm. you know, and, and and singing in a choir, in different languages is a little different than, when I thought about opera sing when, when I thought about opera singers, I just thought about I thought you know Luciano Pavarotti and I thought just big fat guy on stage yelling and screaming and, and, and I don't understand it. I don't understand right. it. It doesn't get me. It doesn't catch me at all. So he said, all right, well, we'll, we'll stick to, we'll stick to musical theater. And that's what I did with him for a couple of months. And then he invited me to see him in one of his recitals. This guy's name is Scott Clausen. I shouldn't mention his name, Scott Clausen. Um, and you know, how you may be closed-minded to some things. Um, I don't know if I don't know if this is you, but I'm closed-minded. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes it takes someone that you know mm-hmm. doing it to kind of open your eyes and go, "Oh, okay." You know, you know. It, 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 at this point, it had been two or three months. I built a relationship with this guy. You know, he, you know, he had my trust. He was a you know, he was a real masculine guy and, you know, like a man's man. He had this great big voice and, you know, I said, all right, I like this guy. You know, I'd like to sing like him. And then I saw him on stage at, a, at one of his recitals. And he started off with doing just art songs, just soft Italian, French, you know, some leader um, a German, you know, just these German art songs, and then he would go into musical theater stuff, and then he ended with, uh, you know, these arias that I, I said, wow, okay, I don't understand what he's saying, but I understand what he's saying. That's right, that's right. what got that's what got to me, you know, because yeah, yeah. the the expression, the expression that he put into the music, I said, wow. You so know? it was a moment. It was it was a moment. It was it, that that's where it clicked. I said, well, okay, I don't, 
I have no idea what he's talking about, but I get it, mm-hmm. you know? Everything that he's expressing through his body, through his voice, you know, I can hear the melody, you know, and the strings and the piano that was playing. I know when it's sad. I know when it's happening. I can look at him, and I, I know what's going on, and I want to do that to people, you know? I, wanna, I, I want to, you know, express something so deep and say and people go I don't quite understand but I really understand was that I know you had this that, this thing that you, you knew you could sing but was that the first time you witnessed something on stage that you thought I, that's what I want to do um hmm yeah I'd say so because you know I I always loved singing but I don't know if I always wanted to be a professional singer did you then, at that moment? At that moment, I knew that that was something that I wanted to do. Wow. You know, and even at the, like I said, I was maybe 16 years old. I didn't know if I was going to be doing it for my job one day, but I knew that I wanted to do that. And did you think you could do that, um, not, not to be, not as a career, but do you think, you, did you think you could achieve the musicality that he had with the voice that you had? Um, I, I don't know if I knew back then, but I wanted to try. Mm-hmm. I, I knew that. I definitely knew that. I knew I wanted to do that, what he had done to me. Wow. I wanted to do that to a lot of people. So you went to, some, to him and said... And I said, yeah, let, let's do some of that stuff that you were doing. You know, I said, I want to, especially that last song, let's do that song. And he was like, you, your voice is far too immature, you know, to... You know, sing pretty much anything of you know what I sang that night. But we'll get you started. You so know? what level, What kind of singer was he? Was he a baritone? No, or? he was a tenor. Okay, and yeah. you are. I'm you a tenor. Be, okay. Yeah. So, you know, he was kind of writing the line of tenor and baritone because they had a very dark color to his voice, but um, but he had I mean, he was a tenor. He was just a a spinto tenor, a real dramatic tenor. So up until that point. And that's a that's a huge point in your life that yeah. changes everything. But up until that point, um, what you were getting from him as a um, from from your teacher, were you learning a lot about singing, and did it change the way oh, you yeah. sang? Yeah, um, because honestly, we didn't really start singing for the first three or four weeks of lessons, you know. It was all breathing exercises. You it has to start with a foundation, right. you know. You got to crawl. You got to crawl before you walk. You got to walk before you run. And if you start off trying to sing high notes and trying to do everything that you can without really knowing how to do everything the correct way, especially in the classical genre, you're going to ruin your voice before you have one. But did that make sense to that 15-year-old cocky kid who's not nope. I can sing? Nope. No, nope. but did you see the results? In 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 time, it did. You know, after a while, you know what? After the first and second lesson, I was like, you know what? Why am I giving this guy my money? <laughs> you know, or my parents' money actually, because <laughs> it definitely wasn't my money. But you know, I, first and second lesson, yeah, I thought it was a bit of a waste of time. But then I started looking at him. I started to trust him a little bit more. You know, um. 
I think he came into, uh, oh yeah, here's a good story. Our choral director was sick one day and there were no substitutes and he came in to, to be a substitute teacher and direct us. And the class was kind of, you know, messing around mm-hmm. and, you know, just not taking to him. And then all of a sudden he kind of let out this, hey, and it, it reverberated out the entire room. And, you know, that's tough to do in a room, you know, of 50 high school kids, yeah, yeah. you know. And he goes, listen, you don't have to like me right now, but you're going to respect me. And I guarantee that I can yell and sing louder than all of you put together. So would you like to sit down and, and learn? Right. All right. <laughs> the command that he had, it was that it was that command. I, I, I liked it a lot. And I, you know, he he made you respect it. He, you know, I, I feel like he probably dealt with a lot of cocky young guys that, mm-hmm. you know, didn't understand why you had to crawl before you walked, you know. But in due time, I, I, I understood. And yeah. so did you fall in love with? classical music um I really did um he was a big help in that and you know going even further off of the the path of you know being with him I saw the movie Philadelphia Mm -hmm. you know and then there's you know there's that that scene scene where Tom Hanks is listening to you know Maria Callas and we were watching it in health class you know because you know he has AIDS in the movie and stuff like that and Oh man, I'm glad I was in the back of the classroom <laughs> because when when I heard my you know Maria Callas for the first time, man, I said, "Oh my God!" You know, it was the same thing, but he was even he was even more soul piercing. You know, I I the bell rang that day, and I went up to my health teacher and I I asked him if I could fast forward the movie to the, like the very end to see, you know, exactly what aria it was, what opera it was from, and who it was. And I left school from that class. I mean, this was like third period. Right. So <laughs> I had six more to go, man. I left school, went and took the bus straight to Best Buy, you know, and, and ran to the classical section, got the first, you know, very best of Maria Callas CDs I could find, went home, and I listened to La Mama Morta, uh, from Andrea Chenier over and over and over again. To this day, out of any blues singer, any soul singer, out of any classical singer, out of any singer of all time, my my favorite singer of all time is Maria Callas. Okay, so tell me about when you went home and listened to it over and over again. What did you get out of that? Uh, everything. Everything that singing was supposed to be. Uh, you know, just kind of like I said, just, you know... The expression, the expression, I had never heard expression like that before, you know, the grieving and happiness and and everything that you can emote all rolled into one in five minutes of singing, mm-hmm. you know, I had never heard anything like that before, so, you know, I, I had heard things close to it, you know. There are, there are singers out there that have come very close to doing the same thing, but not like that. So is, at this point, are you listening to anything other than classical music? And are you listening to your R&B? Oh, yeah. I'm, listen, okay. I'm listening to everything. Okay. Always. So you're still listening to it. You're oh, still yeah. into that. Oh, yeah. Always. I just always get the feeling that people who 
get into opera or classical music have to kind of dig really deep into it and spend a lot of time with it. So I, I just don't know how much. That's yeah. There's truth in that, but that's that's a. I think that's a thing. To where. If you're going to be a musician, like a true, if you're going to be true to your genre, um, here and here's something that a lot of guys talk about, a lot of, not a lot of guys, a lot of musicians, guys, girls, you know, in blues today talk about. Um, because I play a lot of traditional blues, especially when I'm, you know, in Chicago, mm-hmm. you know, I go on stage, I do all the people that I love. Um Elmore James, Magic Sam, uh, Howlin' Wolf, all of that, all of that stuff, and you don't hear as much of that in Chicago anymore. You don't hear a lot of traditional blues in blues clubs. Mm-hmm. It's, and <clears throat> I think there's there's a a disconnect where a lot of younger musicians say, you know what, that was then, this is now. I'm mm-hmm. gonna be me. You know, I don't I don't want to be I don't want to reinvent the wheel. I've heard that many times. Mm-hmm. I don't want to reinvent the wheel. You know, the old school is the old school. I'm the new school. You know, I'm going to do it my way, which is fine. You know, and and that that's that's a natural thing. But I think if you want to be great at your genre, you have to know where you come from. Mm-hmm. You have to at least do your homework. I'm not saying that you have to sound exactly like, you know, um, y- you don't have to sound exactly like 1950 or 1960 when you play, but at least know. Know, know where it all comes from. Just, it, there has to be that infatuation phase, like you said, where it's like, you know what, I have to completely immerse myself in this music, to really call myself a classical musician or a blues musician or a soul musician, where does it come from? Where where do I come from as as a, as a soul musician? And then it's like it's like learning it's like learning how to talk, man. You know, you yeah, know, man. you don't just make up words. There's a language already that you have to learn. And then there's the slang and the the, the dialect that you can kind of put on it yourself and make it you. But you have to have a base. And um, I, I compare it to martial arts a lot. I was a martial artist before I was anything, you okay. know. You know, And, you know, I watch a lot of, I still watch a lot of martial arts. I still train. Um, I watch MMA and stuff. And there's guys that are this new hybrid of martial artists where it's like, they they tra- they've never trained any traditional martial arts. They just go into MMA classes, which is awesome. They 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 turn out to be really really amazing athletes. But you also find that guys that have trained in, you know, their respected arts, whether it be like Brazilian jiu-jitsu or any sort of you know Japanese you know traditional karate or anything like that, when you have a strong base like that and then you go learn everything else, you know, you it, it makes you a, a more well-rounded person, you know, not just, not just athlete, but person. I feel that same way about classical music, about blues music. If you learn everything that you've come from, you learn way more about yourself than you could 
than you could ever learn, you know, just going, okay, well, this is just me and this is my style. Yeah. So where does, where does your love blues come? When did that happen? Like, did this happen around the same time before that or after that? After, after. So I've always, my dad was always a huge B.B. King fan. So I've always had blues, like, I've always had a, a, a deep respect and love for it. But um, like growing up, it was never really a right a thing for me. Um, Should we talk about how we connected with you, or do we continue the road of your classical music and how? Like, uh, like so, where did the classical music lead to? It led to um, I had a pretty strong career as. Um, what they call a comprimario actor in, in Chicago, which is, a, you know, pretty much supporting roles. Mm-hmm. Um, Chicago Opera Theater, you know, all, all sorts of opera companies uh, around the city. That's what I did for 10 years. Uh, from the time I was 16, from when I said, you know, I'm going to do this from now on. I started off in Elgin, where I'm from, in, you know, just kind of local theaters. And then as I got older and older and my voice matured and got better and better, I... I got to, you know, higher ranks and better companies. So once you started climbing up or going through that path of opera companies or classical music companies, what did you learn about that genre or that road that you were taking? Oh, boy. Is it what you thought it would be? No. (laughs) It was... uh... Let me ask you what you thought it would be. I, you know, I thought I was going to climb higher. I thought, um, I didn't think it would be easy, but, um, it's a tough life Mm -hmm. that, that, or it's just a tough way to, it's, it's, you can hardly make a living off of it unless you, you are a name name. Unless you are Placido Domingo and you're, you know, unless you move to New York or you know and these people you you're working with are mainly people who are just totally passionate about it is it their career or is it their- it, um it is their career but most of them have their side jobs as well you know they're teachers and or they you know they right. teach voice lessons and stuff like that and you know i had gotten to a point where i was doing it pretty much for fun you know, because I, I definitely had a job on the side. I was working retail at, you know, at the mall by my house. And, you know, because I like I said, I couldn't make money doing, you know, just a few weekends after, you know, you you do all of these rehearsals during the week, you know. Mm-hmm. And and like I said, I don't drive, so I was spending all of this money, you know, taking the train out to Chicago, to, and then taking you know the Blue Line over to here, and you know it was a lot of travel and a lot of hassle for very little, you know. And I kind of decided that, although I still loved it just as much as I loved it when I was sixteen, I still love opera music right now as I'm sitting here just as much as I did when I was 16 years old it just wasn't going to be my job right you know yeah whether so. whether it be you know because it you know it's just out of the cards 
And I probably just wasn't good enough for it to be, you know, a career of mine. So was that difficult to accept? Was that a hard choice or did you... At this point, are you thinking singing is still something you want to make a living? Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, it, it, it wasn't that hard to accept because I knew that... I knew that I was still good at singing just any anything else too i knew that i i knew that i had other options okay so at that point are you doing any other options um i was uh here and there i would go to like jams and stuff and like this cover band really liked me and i would i would sing with them sometimes so i was still kind of keeping my chops up singing r&b and soul and stuff like that okay so that passion <clears throat> was always there as well oh yeah okay. yeah yeah i've always been you know i've never just been one thing. One, yeah, yeah. No. N- never one-dimensional. So you decide, okay, maybe opera's not the way to go, but I'm yeah. going to still continue to sing. Yeah. You're doing some gigs with a cover band. Mm-hmm. Then you discover the blues? And the, Yeah, yeah. Well, they, were, they did blues, too. Oh, okay. You know? And so I started kind of fishing out all of my favorite, I guess what you would call... Uh, starter kit blues songs you know right. you know i sang pride and joy and i sang you know <laughs> you know you know I, I i did all of that stuff i sang sweet home chicago and you know i i did all of that stuff you know it was now, it was it was for starters you know the discipline that you had learned from working on classical and opera music yeah could you easily apply that to um R&B, soul, blues. Yeah, I mean, it definitely, like, are you talking just technique? Yeah, or, technique. Yeah, most definitely. I learned how to sing with, with my body, and there are a lot of, there are a lot of, of, of R&B and soul singers from the past that, you know, kind of just knew how to do that naturally. I, I, I wasn't one of them. I really had to learn, l- learn the, the mechanics of the voice and really how to how to use it from from a place other than my throat right. and you know uh just trying to doctor everything um with my throat and that's why i can sing you know seven nights in a row demanding music and and you know not ruin your voice and not ruin my voice okay so last week i think i told you but i last week we were doing some videos with my work at riddle films and we had uh, I interviewed three opera singers, right. and all of them said the thing that they loved was they they loved the singing, mm-hmm. but they also loved telling stories and they loved the acting. Okay, and that yeah. was a big part. In fact, the acting, all three of them mentioned that that was as important to them as the singing in, in their quest to follow opera. Mm-hmm. Did you feel the same way about the acting side of opera? I loved acting. Um, it it wasn't as important to me as um, I wanted the storytelling to be through the voice mm-hmm. because that's all of my favorite singers. Like I can I could I could look at people in recital form 
and, and and when I say recital form, I mean just when you know singers go out in their tuxedo and they don't you know it's it's not the actual opera. Right. It's you know, it's just it's a concert. And if you can move me just standing there, which is something that I that I think is really cool, because it all it, it all comes it, it all comes from the voice anyways. Mm-hmm. It, it that's where it starts. You know, all of the other things are secondary for me. Right. Um, and so I think that's I think that's kind of why the, I am the kind of performer that I am as well. I'm not someone that, you know, in this genre, in blues and soul, I don't really like jumping around the stage. And, you know, I love guys who can be entertainers as well. Right. I love that. I, that's a beautiful art. I would rather stand there and if I can hit you in the gut if if I can make if if I can sing something if I can sing a phrase or a word and tell a story to you and you go oh you know like we've all had that feeling where you know especially you know guitar players when they have a bend or something and you feel that bend or you hear a a a a, a note and a singer digs in and you go ooh you know, that's more powerful to me than any sort of, you know, than any, you know, physical act. But there is also the expressiveness, and I even see oh, it yes. in your eyes. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. There's a great yeah. picture on your on your Facebook site where you, you're, you're with Monster Mike, mm-hmm. and there's a look you have, and just looking, I don't know if you're looking at him, but there's yeah. this look you have, and that, to me, it's almost theater right there. Oh, sure, yeah, I mean... That's a natural thing. I mm. mean, it it goes along with it. I'm not saying I stand up there stone face and you know just <laughs> right. go ah, but but the storytelling is the is in the voice, you know, primarily for me. That's 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 where the importance lies for me. All the other stuff, you know, and, and usually if I'm looking at Mike and I have a certain look towards him, I'm definitely not singing. He's telling the story on his guitar, mm-hmm. you know, and it was the same thing when I was with Nick and all the other boys. If I have a certain look on on my face, it's probably because they're telling me a story and they're making me go, oh, just just like I'm trying to do with everyone else. It's the story, you know. So you decide that opera is not the way to go. Mm-hmm. You're looking at other options. How long of a time is it between that decision and the time you meet Nick? It was pretty short. It was it was uh it was probably about a year, maybe a year and a half. And in that time, what are you doing? Um, just like I said, working retail, uh, doing local jams, or just going out to local jams wherever I could. Just trying to, just trying to do what I could to see where I can see where I can make a start in blues. Because I I said, you know what, I I like soul music. I like blues music. Um. These guys seem to work a lot more than <laughs> than than I was when I was singing classical music. Uh, and how familiar were you with the Chicago blues scene? I was. I, it was pretty foreign to me. How it, familiar with you were you with the concept of just Chicago blues? That was pretty foreign to me too, because I, you know, I. I had always really liked the guitar players. Right. You know, I I liked uh, I'd al- I'd always buy like the Eric Clapton Crossroads festivals. I always liked watching those. You right. know, so guitar music. My dad my dad likes you know just 
you know, cool, <laughs> cool guitar players too. So that's always that's a, you know, that's that's never been lost on me. I liked that kind of stuff. You right. know, it wasn't it wasn't a completely like foreign language, but to get into the scene, I had no idea, you know, how the hell to do that. But, you know, fortunately, I had this buddy of mine that I went to high school with who was really into blues. He was actually um, one of Honey Boy Edwards' uh, caretakers, you know, towards the end of his life. His name is Joe Rutan. And he was on the, um, he was in the Chicago Blues Society. And, you know, he said, man, if you really want to, you know, learn about this stuff, come on, you know, I'll take you to jams, I'll take you to shows, and he started taking me to, like, Rose's Lounge, and, you know, I started to meet younger musicians who let me up on stage, you know, just at the word of other people, saying, hey, this guy can really sing, yeah. oh, really, come on, you know, come on, and they were going, wow, who the hell are you, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, you know, there was a real community you know, this is back probably about 2010, where these guys were, you know, just like guy, you know, guys like Pete Galanis and Rob Blaine and Dan Corelli, you know, all of the, you know, they were all pretty much side guys at that time. And, you know, they had their own gigs here and there and I would go see them and they would let me up and I started to, you know, kind of get known and make friends. So they were very welcoming. They were very welcoming. Yeah. I, I would say that I was very lucky in that sense too, because some 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 guys aren't. You know, there there are there are just some places that you go where it's like, um, someone else comes in and it's automatically some sort of threat. Right. You know, and, you know it's an, it's it's a, there's a competition thing, and I never found that here in Chicago. I found that in other cities, but not in Chicago. No. Oh, okay. Uh, um, so you you do this you do bed jams and are you how how into blues are you at this point? I'm re I'm getting really into it, um, and I'm just trying to find my hand at I'm I'm just trying to find where I belong in this world, uh, in this blues world. And we're talking as a singer. Yeah, as a singer. Yeah, because at that time I I didn't play guitar at all. So I was just trying to just trying to get in places. And this uh, this spot by my house in Elgin started bringing in uh, blues acts from the city or just pretty much from everywhere else. Um, it was probably about a two minute uh, two minute hike from my house. It was this place called Walnut Speakeasy. It's still there. And one night myself and my buddy Joe went to see Kilbourne Alley Blues Band. I don't know if you know those mm -hmm. guys, but you know, right away from note one, I was blown away by this band. It sounded like they they took my little, you know, suburb of Elgin, Illinois and turned it into a dirty juke joint, you know. It was amazing. The guy, Andy Duncanson, on vocals, I, I had never heard anything like him before. So, you know, during the set break, I had to approach him. He was at the bar. I said, man, you are, you are one of the best singers I've ever heard in my life, man. And, you know, I'm a singer myself, and I, I just want to tell you that I love what you do, you know. 
He was like, oh, thank you, man. I appreciate, you know, appreciate you saying that. He's, he's a real kind of shy guy. He's, he's one of my best friends now. But, <laughs> but he's, he's, he's one of these shy guys that, you know, almost, almost too humble for his own good sometimes. But uh, anyway, that, you know, that was that. And I went back to my seat. They went back on stage. And uh, Andy gets on the mic. He goes, well, I just met somebody at the bar. I said they were a singer. Hey, my, hey, hey Mike, you want to sing one? <laughs> uh, yeah okay and you know i went up and i sang two with them what did you sing uh, damn i don't know i can't remember um i think i was in a i was in a real uh i had just found i just found magic sam at that at that point and um, because it was like right around the time that YouTube was finally letting out like really cool blues videos. Right. And I had found um, the video of him at the American Folk and Blues Festival to him doing, you know, feeling good and all your love. And, and I think I did all your love. I, I know I did a, a shuffle, too, but I know I did all your love. Um. And Kate Moss was in the audience that night. Because they were... With- they're, they're, yeah, they were on the Blue Bella label. Right. So <clears throat> she comes up to me while I'm... While we're all... We're, we're all leaving. Um, it was the end of the night. And she goes, hey, um, do you know Nick Moss? I said, I don't know him, but I know who he is. I'm going to see him tomorrow night at Roses. He's one of my favorite, you know, blues musicians. He goes, or I'm sorry, she goes, uh, well, if that's the truth, if you're really coming down, I'll get you on stage with him. And I said, what? She goes, yeah, I'm his wife. I'm Kate. And I went, what? I was like, are you for real right now? Like, like it, it, she goes, yeah, yeah, come on down. I was like, I'm going to be, I'm, uh, yeah, I know I'm going to be there. I just told you that. But Okay, so did you know what she, like if you hadn't said you were coming down, what was her motive for? I don't I, that might have been it. Like she was obviously I she think was impressed she, with your singing. Yeah, yeah, and I think she wanted to show Nick. Okay. I think you know she saw that there was a, this kid in Elgin. You know, <laughs> I mean, I think maybe I was twenty four, maybe twenty five at the time, um, and I think she wanted to, her, her husband to see you know new blood. I don't know. How but, did you feel? I was excited, anyways, but. You know, because I, I had loved, I loved Nick, you know, um, in my search of of listening to more and more blues music, I had come across um, Count Your Blessings. Mm-hmm. And that's like to this day, his albums, it might be number one, maybe number two to, you know, one of his Live at Chance albums. But, you know, <laughs> I'm, 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 you know, Nick is my brother. He's one of my best friends in the entire world, but I'm still just as much of a fan of his than I am. You know, uh, you know his his best friend. But. So this leads to somehow, and I don't know how much time goes by, but this leads to you doing some back uh, backup vocals on yeah. one of his albums. Yeah, we start we start hanging out after I come to that show. You know, he let me up on stage. I, I sang some tunes with him, and we started. We found out that we had we only lived five minutes away from each other. Was so, there connection immediately on stage? Um. Yeah, because one thing about Nick, Nick is very leery of, of letting people up. 
not you know he's not like a jerk about it but um well he's at a certain level he's at a certain level and when you go when you tour there's always somebody in the crowd that comes up to you and goes, hey, man, you know, I love what you do. Hey, I play a little harp myself. There's always that one guy in the audience that's like, ah, you know, oh, you, you know, can I come up? I'm real good. And yeah, a lot of the time yeah. they are, you know, they, they, you know, whatever. He's been through that a lot. So, but the fact that Kate went up to him, you know, Kate, you know, he, you know, he trusted her word and... You know, he liked what I was doing. I I knew that he liked Freddie King, so I sang "Have You Ever Loved a Woman" by Freddie King, and you know, he dug it. You know, we were, it, you know, it was it was cool, and it was a kind of an immediate friendship. Yeah, yeah. He started inviting me over to his house, and we, you know, we hung out, and I really started kind of just. He was, he was my mentor from day one, pretty mm-hmm. much. I would follow him around. You know, I would go to his gigs just to, you know, I would, I would travel with the band. I wasn't even in the band yet. But I would go to his gigs with him just to, just to watch, just to, you know. He would let me on stage sometimes, and, you know, I would sing, and that was really cool for me. But, you know, he was my favorite blues musician. I was able to, you know, be friends with him for, you know, Okay, so not knowing the blues scene, not really knowing the world of the blues at this point, yeah. and just kind of seeing it through the eyes of a fan. Mm-hmm. You start traveling with the band, or you start getting to know them. Yeah. What What struck you? What did you learn from that initial contact with Nick? Um, I just loved... Nick is good for a story. <laughs> and, you know, the more that you get the more that you get down to things with him, you know, you realize how many layers, you know, you can really peel back with this guy because, you know, not just on his own, mm-hmm. but he's, you know, he's he, he's got so many miles on him with a lot of great musicians. Mm-hmm. And when I say great musicians, I'm talking about, you know, he'll say things like when I was on stage with Jimmy Rogers and Junior Wells, and you know he says this this stuff like it's, you know, I mean it, you know he did it you know very young in his life and that's that was his job. Right. But you know someone like me, who and Nick was the first one to you know say hey man if you want to be a great blues musician, you know do your homework you know. So that's you know, so I'm doing my homework at this time. You know, and I'm I'm hearing all of these names and him saying, yeah, when I was backing this guy and I'm going, damn, like, you know, these these people were dead and gone before I even really knew what real blues was, you know. And so, you know, I I consider myself very lucky um, getting to hang out with someone who learned how to play blues from the architects of Chicago blues. Mm -hmm. You and know. he's carrying on the tradition. Carrying yeah. it on. All day. So, you wind up joining the band. Yeah. Well, he says, after you do some stuff recording with him as backup, if you want to tour with the band. Yeah, I went, I went to... Uh, I called him one day, and I asked him what he was doing. He said, well, I'm actually going to, to you know, work on some levels on, on the new CD. Where I'm going to the, to the studio. I said, can I come with you? 
<laughs> you say, yeah, man. I mean, you know, it's not it's nothing, you know, exciting to look at. <laughs> right. I said, well, I just want to know how a, a record is made. You know, I, that was that's interesting. So we get in there. We're all hanging out. And, you know, Nick gets one of his ideas and says, hey, Mike, you think you can do some harmonies over this track? So, yeah, that's yeah, that's 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 cake. That's that's easy. You know, I get into the booth. It's my first time in a vocal booth. So I, at this you point, know. you haven't done any recording of uh, any kind? No. Not even in the schooling of opera? Mm-mm. Okay. Nope. No. It was all, no, all of my operatic experience was all just live. Okay. You know? Um, Nick was like, all right, how about this? You know, it, and it just kind of kept going until I, I ended up doing background vocals on maybe eight or nine of the 12 songs on the CD. You know, we just kept going, kept going. And, uh, after we had done the track, it'll turn around where he, he told me it, it's, it's like a gospel kind of, it's a stunning track. tune. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, so he just said, you know what, man, at the end of this one, go ahead and, you know, throw something on it. Let loose. <laughs> I said, OK, you know, I did it. And that was the night. That was the night. You know, we were leaving the studio. He said, look, man, you want to go on the road? I said, what? He goes, my songs are never going to sound the same after this. And I'm I'm not going to be satisfied without, you know, without you doing them with me. So you want to be in my band or what? I said, hell yeah, I want to be in your band. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Was it that simple, though? Because knowing how much he toured, it's a commitment. Yeah, but I I was 25. I was 25 years. I didn't have (laughs) anything holding me back. Do you ever wonder what would have happened if he didn't make that phone call? Nope, I've, I've never thought about that. Let's think about it right now. Wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh. No, I would. I would presume it would have still happened in some way or another. But I, I, yeah, I could, wonder. Yeah, if maybe, maybe, but who knows? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so he says, "Let's go on the road," and now you're on the road. And work, Nick works like insane amount. Yep. Yeah, like especially, especially back then, um, it was it was definitely over 200 dates a year. Um, you know, it's it's slowed down a little bit. But only a little bit, pretty much. I mean, you know, one year it slowed, especially when when I had my daughter, you know, three years ago. We we slowed down a little bit, you know, just I mean, and I know he did that for me. But uh, but yeah, he's a workhorse, man. He's he's out there right now. Yeah, man. (laughs) He's been out there for two weeks already, you know, and not going to be back for another one. So. So what was that life like? Now, all of a sudden you've realized that now you're in in a blues band. Yeah. You've given up. The classical stuff, mm-hmm. and you're basically riding the the van all over the country. Yep, my was... first uh, my first gig with Nick was well. First of all, he you know like I was telling you earlier, he goes, "Hey man, you play guitar, right?" And I went, "Yeah, a little bit," you know, because <laughs> I knew open chords. I know you know I knew E, G, D, and A, you know, but. I was like, man, he goes, all right, man, well, you know, you can play rhythm for me. I was like, wait, boss. <laughs> I was calling him boss before, you know, a year before I was in the band. That's I'd always called him that. I was like, wait, man, I don't play guitar like that. You know, <laughs> he goes, nah, you'll learn. You'll, you'll be all right. That's that's Nick for you. You know, nah, yeah, yeah, yeah. you'll learn. man. You'll be all right. Just just listen. Just listen and watch me. That's, you know, that was his thing. 
So I started, you know, if I ever started doing homework, <laughs> you know, if I ever started studying blues, um, which I really was at that point, but I said, wow, I'm going to be a guitar player too. That was a point where my education in Chicago blues really began, you know, was not just listening to the singers in front, but listening to a lot of the two guitar bands, mm-hmm. you know, in the, you know, in the, in the fifties and sixties and stuff like that. And all of the different things, all of the different, There's, there's, there's a, not a lot of people get um, how intricate that type of stuff is, mm-hmm. you know. Two guitar players is a really, really, it's, a, it's an amazing art form, and when it's done right, when it's done correctly, and people are listening to each other and not playing all over each other which a lot of blues bands do these days <laughs> you know i mean yeah, yeah. there's a lot of there the, the, just the art of rhythm guitar for sure just a it, just someone playing on the bottom just playing along you know not guys find that boring now i can do that all night every night <laughs> you know and i did for a long time but you know or, but how easy was that? Because now, in some ways, you're still learning the art of singing the blues. Yeah. And singing is one thing, and you mm-hmm. do it very well. But singing and playing and learning how to play the guitar at yeah. the same time. But, I mean, I presume playing guitar and singing is a different thing than you just singing. Yeah, yeah. And now you I'm still to... learning. <laughs> yeah. But I, I presume that's the way it is, that it's an ongoing journey. But, yeah. Um, how difficult was that transition of being in the band, singing, and learning how to play guitar? Well, I mean, it was... I would say, you know... I would say it was difficult, but I it it, it wasn't because I, I loved it so much. You know, once I, once I started, I, I couldn't stop. You know, I wanted to show... I wanted to... He was, and here's another thing that Nick taught me. And that he teaches every person that is in his band. He, he always says, you know, if you do half of the work that I did, you know, when I was when I was studying this stuff, you'd be all right, you know. So basically, any guy, any young guy that's ever been in Nick Moss's band, they all have his entire music collection on his iPod because mm-hmm. he goes, "You're going to need this," you know. And so I just kind of looked at Nick. Like I said, he was my mentor. He's he was the person that I looked up to. He was when I looked at him, I said, "Okay, that's a blues guitar player. That's a blues man. I want to be like him." So I said, "All right, I'm going to learn everything that I can on this guitar." You know, cuz I didn't you know, the opportunities that I was getting at that time. My first gig with him was at Chicago Blues Fest. Oh, a little place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, backing up Curtis Salgado and you know, in a in a little Walter tribute. You know, all a little Walter tri- you know, all a little Walter's songs, that that's all two guitar stuff. Right. You know, so I you know, I'm listening closely. You know, and then we're going to, to Memphis for the for the IBCs and BMAs and running running these jams. I didn't want to be that guy where this heavy hitter comes up 
you know, if you know if Jimmy Vaughn comes on stage and says he wants a a, a Jimmy Reed style shuffle, I'm I'm not going to be that guy that's looking around going <laughs> okay, how do you do this? I'm, that's not going to be me, you know? So a lot of it was out of love and a lot of it was out of, I'm not going to be that guy, you know? So. So now you spend years touring. So tell me about that touring thing. Cause no, before that, tell me how long it took you to feel like you were an intricate part of the band. I felt, I mean, the boys let me right in. Like, like I said, um, since I was already kind of around all the time anyways, yeah, yeah. I was good friends with everybody in the but band. But not, not as much that as you feeling comfortable enough that you, you feel like... That I'm, that I'm in the Contributing band. and happy with what you're contributing. Um, it, it, was, it was kind of instant. It was, wow. it was an instant thing. There was, there, were, there was no point where I felt like I didn't belong or, or I was, because I was constantly asking questions. Right. I was constantly asking, hey, you know, what would you like from me here? Can, you know, do you like this? Should I do this? I'm thinking about that. I was always that, you know. And I, I guess the amount of <laughs> dates that you would play, it's like constantly playing. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, we didn't need to... There, there, there was no need for a lot of rehearsals. <laughs> that you know, there, there were some nights where it was just like that's, you know, you're when you're that kind of train, and you're that kind of workhorse, you're always running. So you learn, you learn a lot about each other, you know, just like that. And then the two hundred nights when you were doing two hundred nights, and we're talking not locally, but traveling all over the world. Mm -hmm. How did you adjust to that? I think I did. I think I did pretty well, especially. Uh, I mean, I I didn't really have a vice, you know. I wasn't a drinker, or you know, I've never done any drugs or anything like that. So I was pretty straight edged, and you know, man, I I, I just I loved the life. Because it's not an easy life. Though, it's right? not at all. Like we're not talking late nights, early mornings, a lot of travel. The, the I'll I'll tell you what the hard part was. Dealing with you know some drunks at you know mm -hmm. once 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 it gets a little later you know. Right. Um, dealing with dealing with this question. All right. Yeah. You guys. Uh, okay. So you guys you guys play music. You guys have real jobs like at home. Like <laughs> when someone asks me if I have a real job, you know, <laughs> it's like, bruh, do two nights with us. Do, you know what? Do one day in, you know, close quarters with four other guys in a van, you know, you know, if you think you've smelled something weird before. <laughs> 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 I don't know if you have, if you, you know, haven't been in a band, in a van with a, with a touring band before. You don't know this life, you know? Yeah. You see each other more than you see your family members, you know? It's, it's something, you know, I, the, you know, it wasn't the rock and roll lifestyle. I, we didn't have roadies who were packing up and setting up all of our stuff doing our sound checks and stuff like that you know that 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 was when it was like you know what 
I had to learn how to collect myself because I was still very, very sensitive and emotional back then. So I had some times early on in the band where I had some kind of close calls with, you know, people who said dumb stuff to me. <laughs> now I, now I, I'm, I'm much better at taking And you have it. martial arts behind you. <laughs> you can do damage. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm much better at, you know, handling it now. But those first few years... It was tough, man. <laughs> That's that was the tough part. People just being kind of ignorant to what we do. Yeah. Few years come by, you have lots of successes, you're touring all over the world, and then you have this opportunity to do this tribute to Otis Rush. Yes. At the Chicago Blues Fest and they pair you up with Monster Mike. Yeah. And something happens. Yeah, something happened. Yeah, something really happened. And, you know, just just a preface to that story, I was actually supposed to perform with Ronnie Earl that night. But Ronnie, I, I actually saw that Ronnie was headlining with, with his band. Not, uh, I, he, he had his whole band with him. He was actually doing a set right before. Um, and because Dick Sherman had heard my work on on Ronnie Earl's album Father's Day and I did some Otis Rush songs on right. there you know so you know I called up Dick and I said no hey, no sorry wait. we gotta talk about that <laughs> okay I thought that came after so oh no 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 so you're working with Nick and then Ronnie Earl calls you up and says hey can yeah. you sing some songs uh-huh that's how it, and how that feel oh it felt pretty cool <laughs> man you know because Ronnie would always come out you know, to our gigs on the on the East Coast, you know, and you know, in the Boston area and stuff like that. He would always come out, you know, you know, Nick is one of his favorite guitar players and then I, you know, I came up and he had never heard me before. And so he wanted, you know, he wanted to he wanted me to sing on one of his albums. And I, you know, I asked the boss man, I said, is this okay? So yeah, man, sure. I said, All right, well, I'll sing sing some songs on a Ronnie Earl album. Why not? And you did some dates with him? Oh, uh, no, no. I thought I, you played, I, oh, no, I guess it was, it was when Nick was touring that he joined you. Yeah, right? yeah, okay. he would sit in, right. you know. Anytime he was, you know, he was in the crowd, we called him up, of course, you know. But, uh, but yeah, it, it, for, you know, initially, during the, the Otis Rush tribute, it was me and Ronnie Earl. But, you know, I gave Dick a call, and I said, look, man, I know once we get there, I think Ronnie is going to want to use his singer, Diane Blue. You know, they right. they have their connection and they, you know, they they perform with each other all the time. I said, is Mike Welch going to be there? Is, the, is this what I'm reading? And he, you know, he goes, yeah, yeah. I said, who's he performing with? What's he doing? He goes, oh, I don't know. I, I haven't, you know, the, the, the song list wasn't even figured out yet. And you picked Mike because why? You had a history with him, or no, man, no. You know, I knew I knew of Mike. You know, I had met him once when we were all in Memphis together, and I always loved his playing. I thought he was just he was one of those guys, those gut punch guys, mm -hmm. where it was like, oh man, he just he he plays something, and you can tell he means everything. You know, he's he's not a flashy guy, but if you want some, you know. Yeah. If you want a guitar player to make you cry, you know, you can you can count on him. So you could imagine yourself working with him. I could. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought that, you know what? The intensity that I can bring with my vocals, 
and the intensity that he can bring, I said, you know what? That's that's it's just a better match. It, I thought that back then, you know, because it was just more of a kind of a. I was like, you know what? It's more of a youthful sound. It's it's got more vigor to it, you know. These were all the things that were going on in my head, and so it came about. Um, Do you we, rehearse? Uh yeah, we had uh, we had we got to do one rehearsal together at uh, Delmark at Del, you know when yeah. at the Delmark Records. And did did you know at that point? I didn't know it was going to be like that. I knew it was going to be good, but I didn't know it was going to be what it was. And so what it was was you went on stage, and how soon did you feel it? Um. Well, you know what. First things first, we didn't know that Otis Rush was going to be there. <laughs> we didn't know Otis was going to be there. Dick didn't tell us that, you know. So before the show gets started, you know, uh, the mayor's out there and he, you know, he goes, ladies and gentlemen, Otis Rush. And, you know, Mike's already on stage. And he turns to me with these wide eyes and like, you know, I, I got goosebumps. I got, oh, I got goosebumps just talking about it. Um, you know, uh, his wife is rolling him out in his wheelchair and he gets on the mic and he goes, let me hear you say, yeah. And it was, a, you know, it was more, you know, he's had several strokes. Yeah. So, you know, but, you know, me and Mike looking at each other, we start bawling. We're still, you know, we're crying. I, I'm thinking to myself, I go, wait a minute. I've heard Otis Rush a thousand times before. This is the first time I've heard Otis Rush's voice in person, live, in person. I don't care if he's singing or not. This is my first time hearing Otis Rush, right. you know? This is, you know. And so from there, Buddy Guy comes out and, you know, <laughs> you know the crowd's going nuts, you know? There's thousands and thousands and thousands of people in Grand Park. And um, the the mood was set from there, you know. They started off with um, "I Wonder Why," and that's Otis Rush's favorite instrumental. I had never heard Billy Flynn play like he did that night with that much fire. It, the it was on fire. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. You know, because everybody's feeling the same way you were. Everybody. And the thing about it was. When Ot when they were done with at the podium, Otis didn't go off stage. They just kind of put him to the side, so he was still on the stage to the you know. And Buddy's standing right by him, and I think uh, Ronnie Baker Brooks was right there too. So basically, Otis and Buddy and you know and Ronnie are right there looking straight at you. So they get done with the instrumental. Dick Sherman comes up, you know, ladies and gentlemen, Mike Ledbetter. So I'm the first singer of the night. I look over to my left and I see probably my biggest influences in blues staring dead at me. If there was ever a don't F this up moment, <laughs> if there was ever that moment in my life, it was that one. So me and Mike just took it to him and, you know. Every, it, we get, we got off stage and every single person there, you know, all the all, all the old heads from you know Eddie Clearwater to Jimmy Johnson to to you know all of the musicians that I love and respect so much, 
they, you know, it was patting us on the back. Larry Bell, you know, damn near hurt. It broke my shoulder with, <laughs> you know, with the with the pat on the back that he gave me, you know, and it felt so good. And every one of them were going, y'all got to make a record together. You know, everybody said that you guys got to you guys got to make a record. And that's where it, that's where it popped off, man. You know, and you decided very quickly. To oh, man. Yeah, yeah. We we went home and because and, and we're both in our we're both still in our respected bands. I'm still in Nick's band. Uh, Mike Welch is still in Sugar Ray and the Blue Tones. Mm-hmm. He's been in that band for over a decade. Um, and we're st- we're talking about, you know what, you know, we should we should try, you know, we should do this, man. You know, we should start. We should make a record. And so, yeah. And that happened pretty quickly. It happened very quickly. We decided, we said, you know what? Let's get our dream team together. Who do we want to be on this record? You know, so I said, you know, if we're going to have a bass player, it's got to be Ronnie James Weber. Ronnie James, um, he was in Rick Estrin or or Little Charlie and the Nightcats. Then he was in the Fabulous Thunderbirds, played with uh, Jimmy Vaughn for several years. My favorite bass player of all time. Still, I think, the greatest living uh, blues bass player out there. That's just in my opinion. Um, I said, we got to have Ronnie on it. Um, he, uh, Mike had Anthony Jirasi and Marty Richards on drums. Um, we got Laura Chavez to, to be a special guest on it and play a bunch of, you know, amazing solos that heightened our record even more than it already was and you know sax gordon doug james we we put together our 92 dream team you know (laughs) you know our jordan our bird our magic our everything we we threw everything in the hat and said you know what let's make the best blues soul west side soul record that we can make that's what we did and you wind up getting a lot of festival gigs and Mm -hmm. and from what I hear, deliver the same kind of show day in and day out, and you decide that you're going to... At what point do you decide you're going to leave your respective bands? Well, um, I... Man, that's... That's uh, that's kind of a... That's kind of a strange question, because at this point, um, I had done seven years with Nick. Um... I was, I was kind of like my health. I I needed shoulder surgery. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and this I, was from what your, your karate chops and all that. No, man, that was <laughs> this is from my epilepsy actually. Oh, okay, <laughs> which I want to ask you about. Yeah, but, yeah. But okay, so you had to. There was, a, a, I guess, a scheduled thing that said you were going to be leaving the band for. Oh, for several months. Right. You know, I knew that I knew at this point I was going to I needed to have shoulder surgery. So at that point, I told Nick, I said, you know what? Um, I need to have surgery. And I think, you know, I think this is going to be the end of the road for me in the band. Mm. How difficult was that? Very, very. Lots of sleepless nights. I mean, so uh, about telling him that, or about after the fact? Both, both. It's not, you know, like I said, this is family, you mm-hmm. know. And as as much as you would like to leave it, you know, to this is a business thing, you know. 
as much as you know i as much as i kind of fronted and said nick it has nothing to do with right. anything but, and and you know what personally it didn't you know it wasn't that i just didn't want to be around my brothers anymore mm-hmm. i just you know for me personally i was on a road of you know i wanted to be more creative and you know do this but man you know then i you know you think about uh, of course, you know, it, it it wasn't the easiest for me and him to go through, and because we are family. Nick Nick was the first person there when my daughter was born. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Nick was the you know there the night before, all night, just hanging out with me, making sure I was good. You know, so it's it's not an easy thing to tell your the the only big brother that you've ever had. You know. Right, that kind of that kind of stuff, because it, it it always ends up being personal. But it it was hard for a while. It's not, you know, me and him are good now. We t- we talk more than we ever have, you know, and um, I'm extremely happy for him and what he's done with his with his new album, with being on Alligator Records now and stuff like that. Man, so it's good now. But it was it was it was a tough one for a while. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, so. But you were used to working ridiculous amount of time on the road. Yeah. Are you gonna maintain that schedule with Mike or No nah, man, I I am in the works of really trying to you know I really want to do a quality over quantity type of type of thing with this mm. with this man because I've you know, I've learned that, you know, runs over two weeks and and stuff like that those can be band breakers you know you 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 get guys getting mad at each other for no reason right. you know yeah. and and i you know it's still going to be a you know heavy schedule but not quite as as much as i was doing with nick and i don't you know nick doesn't even do that kind of schedule anymore but and you also have a um, a new, a new yeah, addition yeah. to your family. Yeah, I've got two kids now, and you know, I mean that's the that's the life of a of a musician. But I definitely um, don't want to road dog it as you know as much as I have in the past. You know, right? The epilepsy. Yes. So you said that your shoulder surgery was due to that is it- yeah i had a really bad seizure i my my seizures um i was diagnosed with epilepsy when i was 13 13 years old and you know i've always had them when i was sleeping so so um and was it only when you were sleeping only when i was sleeping yeah yeah so there was one night where i I, I think I was cleaning my I was cleaning up my room one day and I had moved my bed out, and so one night I had a seizure and I slipped in between the crack in between the wall and the bed, right. and I dislocated my shoulder. I broke my scapula in the back, uh, and breaking your scapula isn't easy. It's it's usually done during automobile accidents, yeah. so that just lets you know uh, how violent. <laughs> <laughs> things things got that night but I really I wrecked my shoulder and because of the hectic lifestyle that I was you know I was always on the road you know I wasn't really able to get the the proper PT that 
that, you know, to really heal it from that. And so it just kept getting worse and worse. Um, my shoulder was kind of, it was slipping out of the socket, you know, just, just going, you know, you know, level, trying to like reach for a cup in the cupboard or something like that. And then it would just slip out. (laughs) Man. Uh, Oh, there, there have been many nights where my shoulder has slipped out of the socket while I was playing guitar. Oh man. Yeah. So does the epilepsy still happen only at night? Yeah. Yeah. But um, I mean, it's. It's regulated by by my medication. Okay. You know, I'm I'm usually good with it. Um, there are some dumb points, you know, on my end where, you know, there there have been nights where I've you know missed missed a dosage and didn't realize it, and it, it comes back to haunt me. But um, since I've had my, you know, my surgery and you know, I've been pretty good. So, so how has it? I know I know you don't drive. Yeah. How has it affected you in other ways? Um, I don't know, man. I usually don't think about it all that much. <laughs> I mean, well, you know, it, it, when it happens after the fact, it you know, it's it sucks. My body is, you know, it's it's in pain for days, but right. you know, uh, but, but pretty well under control with oh, medication. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so. Tonight you're playing at Buddy Guys. You're mm-hmm. doing your own thing. Is that going to be something you would do more of, or this is just why no? You're in this town? is this is just yeah. It's just pretty much when I'm in town. I I made it a point because when when my daughter was born three years ago, I was home for three days, and then I did a six week run with Nick. Mm-hmm. That was tough. You know, that was a tough one to come home, and my daughter was all of a sudden she was a month old. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and you know that kind of thing happens all the time. I I believe <laughs> one of the first times I interviewed Nick, yeah. he was on the road right after the birth of his daughter. Yeah, I think it was yeah. really tough for him. So yeah, it's that's that's a tough one. So I said, you know what? While I have this, while I have this freedom to say so, I said, you know what? I would like to take. You know, I knew my son was going to be born at the end of January. So I said, you know what? I would like to keep February and March. You know, and I'm talking like the, you know, my band, the Welch Better Connection. Right. You know, I don't want to be on the road all that much during this time. You know, I want to be there to be able to support, you know, my girlfriend, you know, be able to support my family. And, you know, during that time, I've been able to work in Chicago and still be able to come home and be dad, too. You know, right. so. So. So do you have a busy year coming up? Um. It's uh it's fairly busy. We've we've got a lot of uh overseas dates, you know, because we we did a lot of it last year. We were a little we were a little late on booking um this year, but the end of the year in 2019 in the states are looking pretty heavy, you know. Oh nice. But mostly this year is is overseas stuff. A lot of big festivals. We're doing No Toten in in Norway again. One of my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. We did it last year, and they invited us back again, you know, again this year. So, you know, that's I mean, that fun. doesn't happen very often. It does not. It does so not. there is magic in the air. I, I would hope so. <laughs> I hope not to disappoint. Um, how, do you, how do you maintain that? Is that a difficult thing? Not, not, that I've, not that I've come across so far, you know. It's, it's, a, very, it's a very genuine, very natural thing on, 
on that stage that happens. There's no, there's, there's no show, right. you know? It's just we go out there and we do what we do. Um, and I think it's very different than what people have seen in, in, in quite a while. Um, I think it, it harkens back to a lot of the retro, a lot of the stuff that happened in the past, whether it be like, you know, you know, this, the singer, you know, maybe, you know, Bobby Bland and, and, and his, and, and, you know, and his respected guitar players and, you know, just, just the really cool duos of the past, you know, Buddy and Junior and, and. They all had that magic where they didn't have to plan anything to <laughs> to to make it real, you know. It's right. it's just it just is what it is. Are you are you hopeful for the future of the blues? Um right now I'm very hopeful. Very hopeful because we're in a time where retro stuff and vintage stuff is cool again, you know. Um I'd like to thank the hipsters for the, for for that you know for making vinyl cool again and right. you know old school stuff is cool and blues kind of seems to go through phases you know like in the you know the 70s it kind of went down the 80s you know Stevie Ray and you know the T-Birds were you know back on top again and they brought it back and 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 you know Robert Cray and then in the 90s it was kind of you know got to this sort of I don't know. It was like lame again. And now and now it's coming back to this point where it's like you know, people like Gary Clark Jr. and, you know, one of my, you know, you know, blues-based guys are are cool, are cool to listen to. There's a lot of, you know, when 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 I was with Nick and we opened for Gary Clark Jr., it was a beautiful thing to look at, you know, thousands of of kids younger than me swaying to a magic sam groove you know and they didn't you know they they might not even know what it is you know they're 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 dancing along to you know a bb king kind of three o'clock blues style slow blues you know and they may not know what where it comes from but these kids are dancing the blues and really really enjoying it so i think there's a lot of hope for for you know for this art form to be, you know, it's cool again, and I like that. And you're doing some really cool things. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to add to it. I'm doing my best. Well, as I said to you yesterday, I was looking forward to meeting you. Yeah. I think the first time I saw you was we said Reggie's at yeah. Chicago yeah. when you played with Nick, and I said, "Who is that?" <laughs> <laughs> um, and I've wanted to meet you ever since. Um, Thank you so much for doing this. I know oh, you're a busy man, and I really appreciate the chance to get to know you a bit. Pleasure was mine, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.